The world is a dumpster fire, Jason. I don't know if you knew that. I do, actually. Did you Did you know why? Because it truly fucking is, Dave. And uh, no, folks, you haven't missed the beginning of the program. The fact of the matter is uh, I had a booster shot yesterday for the uh, uh, COVID vax. And while I am grateful for the booster... I feel like I got hit by a fucking truck, so I'm just trying to move this thing along. Uh, I am Dave Beaudry. And I am Jason Bailey. And we are one day closer to dead. And Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing better than you, apparently. Are you okay? Uh, I'm actually doing better today than yesterday. Like, yesterday sucked. Like, I, I uh, met up with a friend of mine just to kind of catch up over coffee and just kind of see what the other's been up to for a while. Because uh, I haven't seen him in a while. And uh, like halfway through, I'm thinking, I hope I'm coming off as a functional human being because I totally feel like I'm ready to pass out. Well, very nice, sir. I'm so sorry about that. I'm sorry that had that, that sort of effect on you. But I am glad you're, uh, you're getting the booster, buddy. Yeah, I'm trying to remember because the, the, I remember the, the first COVID shot. I, I just had like a bit of a short, sore, sore, easy for me to say, sore shoulder. And that was about it. Second one, I believe I was a little bit nauseous starting about 12 hours later. Um, but it's right around the time of my birthday when I got food poisoning. Or actually, no, I contracted stomach flu. So, like, I have those experiences slightly, like, kind of meshed together in my head. So I'm trying to remember, like, exactly how sick I felt after the second, uh, after the second vac shot. But that was on May 6th was when I'd gotten the, the second COVID shot. Um, so, you know, it's been a little over six months, so it seemed like booster was, uh, the recommended way to go. I'm still glad that I did it. I'm glad to get it out of the way, but, uh, yeah, starting about 12 hours later, I started to, to feel not great. And then yesterday was, was a bit rough. Uh, and, uh, now I'm on the mend. So, well, yay. well, good. I'm glad we don't need Dave Beaudry having one more medical condition. So no shit, right? Yeah, no, Fuck. no, this is. We're keeping you together with like fucking scotch tape and bubble gum at this point. So anything that we can do to, you know, alleviate any more medical problems would be great. So hopefully this takes and yeah, it's, it's a good thing. And for all you listeners out there, all the dozens, do what Dave's doing. Get the goddamn booster. So good job. I forget what your timeline was. Are you due for one or like are you cross six months? I yes, think, right? I, I have one coming up myself to tell you the truth. I'll be getting the flu shot and the booster and I figure, you know, why not just get a few more of these wonderful vaccinations? Maybe I can vaccinate against the clap or Sifagana herpa clap. What, whatever I can get would be good. Just, you know, fill me up. Fill me up. I don't know if you can be vaccinated against viruses that you still currently have in your system, Jason. I don't know if it works that way. Well, it doesn't really matter to me at this point. I've just become addicted to vaccinations. So whatever you got, just, oh. just you know, pop it in there. I'm good. I'm good to go. That's fair. You're all about that 5G life. Absolutely. No, I'm not, actually. I'm not. So, uh, any feedback to go over before we start breaking down the business of the week? Yeah, I just wanted to say, hey, guys, thank you out there for listening, Dozens. Uh, I want to go over some of the cities that are currently just uh, loving us, and we love you. Uh, first of all is Wichita, Kansas. Thank you very much for still being one of our number one cities of listenership wichita also louisville kentucky and los angeles california thank you very very much and in our international community uh number one 
this last week was Bradford, England. We had them pop up last week. They're here again, very strong. Madrid, Spain, of course, Paris, France. Thank you very much, guys. We really do appreciate all the listeners out there, all the dozens that put up with our crazy, psychotic ramblings that are being pushed through the airwaves. We love it very much. So thank you guys for listening. We really do. Um, but Jason? Yeah. What about Detroit? Still no Detroit, Dave. Uh, like I said, damn it. once they found out you were hatched there, uh, they simply didn't want any more to do with this show. So if you could please try not to bring up too much of your background, history, personal information, it seems to be a bad omen for us in certain parts of the uh, the world. Uh, but you're probably you're probably right, Jason. I'll promise not to do that in the future. By the way, did I mention that I set up a Patreon? Oh, did you? I did mention this last week. It is now at the time of this recording going live. Uh, will have gone live itself. It will be uh, on the web. Jason, you actually have seen it because you're the first person that I, and only person at this point, that I have uh, sent it to for your review and stamp of approval. Patreon.com forward slash Dave Beaudry. If you're interested in more podcast stuff, writings, reviews, videos, and any other sorts of creative endeavors. Uh, Jason, what were your thoughts? I thought it was wonderful the Baudry brand is expanding and like i said it's always a wise investment uh to to put your to put your bills on Baudry. so i'm just saying it was real i'm not going to give a lot away i would really prefer them to look it up uh because the theme of it is um just supernatural it's uh fantastic actually it's it's really good stuff timely i would say as well because that was also partially in my head well, it is timely. You, you, you did very well. Uh, but I'm telling you guys, all, all the listeners out there, uh, really, Dave is, this is not the only thing that Dave Beaudry does out there. He is a very, very creative man. It's how we met, is doing a lot of creative uh, stuff out there in the City of Angels. And uh, it, he is a fantastic writer. He is very creative. Everything that Dave does turns to somewhat gold. And uh, yeah, I'm just astounded by this. What we've done together has been fantastic. But just on his own, Dave Beaudry's got this Patreon set up just to invest in him. It's like putting a little bit of stock into a very, very wonderful up and coming rising company out there. It's just amazing, but it looks great. I, I hope all the dozens out there look into it and uh, absolutely support the one, the only, the great David Beaudry. I, I will have to uh, Venmo you uh, a sponsorship uh, fee there, Jason. Thank you much. <laughs> so uh, feedback, feedback. What feedback do we got? Well, the first thing I want to say out there is we have two wonderful Platinum listeners that I want to give a shout out to. Uh, the first one, of course, is John Collins. John Collins has been both profiled on this program and also just a great friend of the show, him and his family. They're just wonderful people and are doing a lot of good out there in the world. John Collins has a brand new spanking, wonderful podcast on his own now, and it is called Free and Clear. Free and Clear, the podcast, and uh, it's understanding, it's healing, and overcoming religious abuse out there. He has got a lot of great people with him. 
uh, launching this program and continues his crusade against religious abuse throughout the world. Just a superhero figure uh, in my life and a great friend of this podcast and just unbelievable that, you know, he is one of my very best and, and dearest friends from yesteryear and today. So please check out this podcast free and clear uh, from John Collins. It is available on every place that you get your podcast, probably the very one that you're listening to my beautiful voice on right now. You'll be able to listen to John Collins. And this is uh, this is a show that is going to do a lot of fucking good out there. I can tell you that right now. So that's the first thing that I wanted to say for, for some feedback. Nice. Uh, quick note as well. If you are a newer listener, possibly from one of those international markets that Jason was talking about momentarily ago, uh, if the name John Collins is not, uh, if you do not recognize it, then uh, go back to our episode Cult of Personality and you will hear all about uh, John's story, his mission, how he kind of got to the podcast that he is he is now starting. Congratulations to him on that, as well as uh, his many books that he has written and Jason's relationship with him. So uh, highly recommend that cult of personality. That'll give you that background if you don't already have it. Jason, continue. Absolutely. I'll still uh, just a little bit of trivia out there. A little bit of Tweeva. A little bit of Tweeva for you out there is uh, that that is still our number one most listened to episode of all time out of a hundred and... 14? 15. This is 115. Holy shit. Out of if we're counting this episode, yes. We are counting this. Uh, so a little bit of trivia for you guys out there. And then um, I have one more little bit. And uh, this is in regards to the massive amount of feedback we have received for the last two programs. And I also want to throw this out here before I, <clears throat> before I get into this. Oh, boy. Here we go. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not going to cut a promo on anybody yet, but uh, guys, the thing is that I love where this podcast is going. I love where the, the twists, the turns, the things, the whatevers. I just love it. And um, one of the things that has happened in the last, mm, I'd say month or so, maybe a little bit longer, is we here on One Day Closer to Dead uh, have been slipping in the actual ratings of personal journaling, okay? We used to go from, let's say, the top, we'd be in the top five. One, we would never get lower than five, okay? Uh, now, we usually rank around in the teens, probably 20 to 15 on the ranking system with lower listenership. Now, the thing is, the reason I'm bragging about this so much is because I kind of like what's happening. When we do not discuss, you know, sort of anally raping Donald Trump or, you know, railing against the fact that so many people out there aren't getting vaccinated against cotton candy and sort of these... I guess low-hanging fruit on the liberal social justice uh, tree, uh, we seem to not get a, as much listenership, which is, I think, across the board. I think a lot of podcasts out there uh, are all in this sort of twilight zone, 
you know, Mutara Nebula type thing. They don't really know where they're supposed to be with their programming because Donald Trump's a piece of shit, but he sure as fuck ran up numbers. Okay. He is a wrestling heel and he did very, very good for listenership or viewership on a lot of levels. So personally, I think that a lot of anchors out there, news anchors or journalists or whoever speaks on these podcasts fucking hate Donald Trump. Or, you know, absolutely agree that everyone should be vaccinated up to the goddamn hilt uh, against cotton candy. But when they're not covering these issues, which we have all done for the last year and a half, it seems like podcasts just don't know what to talk about any further. And I like the fact that we are not tied down to a specific subject or ideal or, or anything. We, Dave and I discuss what comes to us and also, honestly, mainly what you guys are sending us. So what can I can I say something very quickly? Absolutely, Dave. Um I now have a Patreon to support. Trump sucks! Get vaccinated! Boo Trump red bad. Um Wow. Just fucking wow. How about hey, you know what'd be good right now? Why don't we fucking plug job guys for the ADS? Job guys time? on YouTube! Job guys on YouTube. I'm getting the hang of this uh kind of corporatism, Jason. Anyway. So the thing is that what I like is the fact that what we have done is discuss the things that really matter to us in the community, which was the fucking point of this show the entire goddamn time. And because of it, our feedback has exploded. So here we have less listenership from, you know, maybe your casual listener, but the people who are listening really fucking care about what we're talking about now. And I'm telling you, I just, it, it, it warms, it warms my balls. So here we go. In the last couple of episodes, it's the most feedback we've ever fucking received for anything we've ever talked about is this fight, flight, or fuck it concept, which is, you know, I guess in proper vernacular is fight, flight, or the freeze, as you guys have educated me, <clears throat> but I, of course, I like Dave's version of it better because uh, that's what all the dozens call it now. And and where we stand in society and why we are allowing these horrific things to happen without getting involved. And you know, the question was raised in last week's episode title: "Who are we?" I love it. I, I love this stuff. Anyway, the feedback keeps coming. So we have another platinum listener. I've already missed, uh, mentioned John Collins. The next one I'd like to, to mention is Stina Myers. Stina Myers is kind of like, like our Jedi master of this, uh, this show. And uh, she wrote in something that I thought uh, merited uh, reading. And I'm going to do that right now, okay? She, she wrote back and said she had a couple of, uh, of key points and, and takeaways from the last couple episodes uh, of this sort of almost uh, morality question of... What what are you going to do when this situation occurs to you, and why are you not doing more if you're you're saying fuck it? Here she goes. First, I believe as a society we have become completely desensitized to any type of violence against another human being. Between all of the TV shows, movies, video games, and just watching the nightly news. Homicide, mass shootings, rape, and other forms of abuse have now become part of our daily vernacular, and we have simply become numb to it. When we were growing up, we would hear about a murder, but it would be so rare and so shocking. But over the years, we have had one mass shooting incident 
after another, and we have seen major events like 9-11 happen. Nothing surprises or phases people anymore. It's just normal, even though it's not. Second, I see so many people who are completely living in fear and shame because they are victims of abuse, either verbal or physical. I believe that there are more people than we would like to admit who are traumatized, that when they see something like this happen, they actually become re-traumatized and go into freeze mode or a flight mode. Along with this, most of us, if not all of us, are living with some sort of generational or ancestral trauma where things like this incident have happened in their family lines and whether they are fully consciousness of it or not, they're feeling pain and trauma within them when something like this happens. It can cause us to revert to being a scared child in our reaction and retreat from being able to help. So am I surprised by this type of reaction? No. Are people afraid to get involved because they are afraid they're going to get hurt, shot, whatever? Yes. I had a car wreck occur outside my house a few weeks ago. I went running to the scene and did Reiki on the woman who was hit until the paramedics arrived. But the neighbor wanted to slur racial insults to the driver of the other car while I am trying to stabilize the woman. I had to get involved with telling him to knock it off. Then he got in my face. Everyone is so angry. They're just pissed. At any moment, they can just flip and then you are there, ready to be their target. Why well, I am totally disgusted by this story. Not surprised at all, actually. Kindness, compassion, and caring are not the norm anymore. We have moved so far away from ourselves that we have lost all purpose. We are meant to live in our hearts, lead with our hearts, and be compassionate and helpful human beings. However, when we feel that no one is helping us, why should we care about anyone else? I don't agree with any of it. But that is the reality. Here's the lesson. Everyone needs to do some deep soul searching and work on their own trauma and remember who the fuck they are and why they came to the earth in the first place. It's only until this happens that we have any hope of getting things back on course. Love you both, Steena Myers. So thank you very much, Steena. We do appreciate that very much. And it's... Uh, the gift we never expected just keeps on giving this feedback from the last two shows and uh, a lot of questioning on why this is all happening. She did touch on something, but basically it, it all just becoming so normal that maybe a lot of people just freeze because they just like, it is what it is. I don't know what to do. Uh, I can tell you something. I'm not going to go into specifics, but several of you wrote back also last week saying that because of the two back-to-back -back episodes we did, uh, there was a lot of soul searching on your part as to what you really believed. Dr. Jones, what do you believe? So uh, it was very interesting. I'm glad that we had that sort of effect on you guys, and I'm glad that you're starting to maybe do some investigation into what you believe uh it was really cool um a couple of you reached out and said something that dr eddie gizmo gomez said uh privately to me where you, you know i'm sure he doesn't mind sharing it but he says you really touched on something that the dozens want to hear about and obviously are concerned about and interested in what have we become as a society and individually you know what what do we believe who are we what is this about why don't we why don't why don't we want to step up and be the hero? And you know, he also said good is in short supply, and I, I absolutely agree with that. But uh, thank you again for the feedback, all of you guys out there, and appreciate that the, this has been something that is really cool because we never know 
really what's going to concern you guys the most or what's going to make you start to think about things or we don't know until you until you reach out to us and boy you sure did so thank you very much it's awesome to see that even though that sometimes we don't cover political shit and the stuff that you can just watch on every goddamn news channel out there if you want and we just cover the stuff that we want to talk about and by we i don't mean just dave and myself i mean you guys you know sending us ideas and what's on your mind and what's going on that you that you are so exuberant in in getting involved in this discussion so really cool outstanding i have nothing really to add to that jason i think you you covered it beautifully uh but to build to that because i actually i was thinking about this as you were talking what we're about to talk about i actually in a a little bit of an adjunct way, I think, actually kind of uh, relates back to what we have been discussing. Um, and uh, shall we Shall we get down to it? We shall. This time it's for real, baby. The world is a dumpster fire, Jason. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, I truly fucking did, dude. Did you know why? Because it truly fucking is, pal. Indeed. So, Jason, there was an article that was sent to us. And uh, you wanted to kind of discuss some of the broader themes of it, so I will let you uh, broach that initial subject, and then I will chime in with my thoughts. Absolutely. So anyway, this was sent to us, um, and it was something that I think you guys should should definitely check out. Uh, I'm going to give the official article, but after that, we're just going to discuss some of the broader points on it. Uh, it is by an author, Anne Applebaum, and she uh, is written for The Atlantic. And the article is, The Bad Guys Are Winning. That's that's the the article on it. And If I remember, I will include that link in the uh, episode description. Yeah, that would be very fantastic. Uh, and I, 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 like I said, I'm not a big fan of reading tons of stuff. Sometimes I just can't get away from it. And I'm not going to read this article, but what I'm going to do is just, I'm going to read the very beginning foray into it. So you kind of get the broad theme of, of where this is going and what you can check out. It's, it, it is a fantastic article, uh, whether you agree with it or not, it, is something that you should probably read. Um, they have, a, I believe, a recorded version of it too that takes almost an hour to listen to the uh, the entire article when it's when it's spoken. As I've realized, <laughs> speaking out loud when you're reading takes longer than reading in your fucking head. I never knew that until this podcast, but here we go. Uh, it's called "The Bad Guys Are Winning," and it starts at, with. If the 20th century was the story of slow, uneven progress toward the victory of liberal democracy over other ideologies, communism, fascism, nationalism, the 21st century is so far a story of the reverse. The article goes on to illustrate how around the world, in the very first part here of the 21st century, we're 21 years into it, and uh, it's been a complete shit show, a uh, complete dumpster fire, as, as we've covered. Um, but uh, we are already a good score into this motherfucker. Uh, we are one-fifth done, thank Batman, uh, through the, the, the 21st century. And, and it basically covers and illustrates how as she, she keeps commenting or labeling it labeling it autocracy inc and it's sort of her umbrella over several dictatorships uh masked as some sort of 
democratic situation that put these dictators in in power uh, and them just absolutely not giving a shit anymore. And when well, can I can I elaborate on that as well, Jason? Here is that it opens with a, a case study about the current situation in Belarus, and then also further. Uh, talks about some of the uh, political uh, ramifications of Venezuela, um, in addition to some of the the obvious heavy hitters would be China and Russia. But uh, specifically, Belarus was uh, the specifics of which I was not overly you know familiar with. Um, breaking down Belarus and then Venezuela is kind of a mirror of that, and and how those structures of power, Myanmar as well. Um, that's kind of the the lens through which the article and the author is looking at this overall theme and issue about politics and therefore people's lives in the 21st century. Absolutely. Uh, it starts very much with that as a specific in, in Belarus. And uh, Lukashenko is, is the, I guess, whatever they're calling there, prime minister, heavyweight champion, fucking dictator uh, of Belarus is uh, they had these, I'm, I'm going to use air quotations. You can't see them on a podcast, but elections where, you know, uh, Lukashenko won, but the public at large uh, absolutely did not accept this. Uh, they rallied uh, behind somebody else, let's say that, that ran against him. That was just an average person in a fucked up situation that of course you can read all about it here in this Atlantic article. Am I correct, Jason, that you don't want to try to pronounce her last name because I don't think I would be able to do it either. Well, there's no fucking way, quite frankly, but the thing is that it just, I'm just putting all our cards on the table here. No, yeah, I can, I, it's hard for me to pronounce, but the situation is very understandable, and the people got behind somebody that they there wanted was to a win. Lady, there, pardon me, Jason. I'm sorry. There was a lady who whose husband was who's was originally going to possibly run for president, and then he was not allowed to and was jailed. So she, a non political figure who was just you know angry about the fact that her you know husband was imprisoned, uh, basically ran in his place, and they saw no threat from her, so therefore they allowed her to do it, and she ended up galvanizing uh, the public. So then she became public enemy number one. So that's a little bit more specific on that. Yeah, and at Belarus, this gentleman that was you know her husband that was imprisoned had a basically a YouTube channel that was just railing against Belarus and the bullshit that she had to put up with to live there uh, under you know a dictatorship that was just veiled, but it's a dictator. And of course he went bye-bye and, uh, so then she started to run, but, uh, it was very much just like every other fucking election in a dictatorship, autocracy, uh, situation, just, you know, the playbook just out of Putin's Putin's manual, uh, and a lot of manuals out there, uh, primarily through communism and just the control of people and the state. Anyway, it is an old tale, but uh, she does write in this, the author, that it's different than it used to be, uh, let's say, in the you know 20th century, where, you know, communism, they really did try to put on some sort of face out there that there was not 
this sort of, you know, human rights abuses, just straight up human abuses. Okay. They try to, they try to hold on to an air of legitimacy in the international stage. That's right. And there was a little bit of that going on. And she writes now that that shit is fucking gone, uh, that they don't even care to put on the front of what of what they're doing and when this situation in belarus happened there was almost this sort of cleanup crew when you know all the people started getting pissed all of the citizens of belarus started going hold on what the fuck is this this was very obviously rigged and staged and you know you should be deposed basically this uh lukashenko you need to not be in power anymore well right away you had this whole Rus- Russian rescue squad that just came in and cleaned up events, you know, KGB style from the old days where they they took over the media, they took over the airwaves, they had disinformation, and they, had, they basically had this little kind of rescue crew show Belarus, hey, hey, this is okay. We've been dealing with this for like 100, 100 years at least. We'll show the- you how to fucking do this properly, pal. The fascinating thing there that the article talked about that I would have no way of knowing otherwise is apparently uh, Putin and Lukashenko, uh, like famously, really do not like each other at all. Um, But it's just it's in Putin's best interest to have anything in the region kind of put down that could be pro-democracy because if it if it manifests close enough to their borders, what's to prevent it from possibly spreading into his borders? So therefore... He's willing to, you know, extend the olive branch to protect his own interests, and Lukashenko was eager to accept any, uh, any, you know, advantages or resources that he could possibly get, whether it be from Russia or China, and he got some from both. Absolutely, it, it's it's really showing that, you know, they. You know, she goes out of her way to say, listen, it's not like they're all. You know, James Bond villains. They're hiding out in a room together in some big, you know, meeting, but. It's hard not to it's hard not to get away from sort of this vision of of a lot of world leaders now. And when you look at China and you look at Russia and you really do start to see the idea that uh, this dictatorship, this autocracy, uh, whatever you would like to name it, is starting to take over major, major parts of the world or at least solidify. And on top of that, willing to help each other in their own autocracy basically listen we the only vested interest we have is that the people don't have a goddamn uprising here and actually get to have real elections real elected leaders start getting you know some money back for their own you know investments and it's very interesting because the article overall led me to think and I'm glad it was sent to us but it led me to think about the entire world arc as to where we are going and um it it really coincided with a lot of crazy shit this last week with my own you know i be, it's it's hard to get away from the idea that there's not some sort of manifestation at work when you start to become interested in something a lot of shit starts popping up in your direction that's like yeah, keep doing that that's something that you're interested in Let, let's get in let's get into that this last week, I really, for whatever reason, started watching a lot of documentaries and a lot of shit on the Russian Revolution. I watched the Netflix show, The Last Czar, which I knew about 
70 percent of what was in it it's dramatized what the fuck ever but it's very interesting to see uh the the finality of the rule of the czars in in russia and you you also you also watched the director's cut of rocky four which we will be coming to momentarily I did, Dave. I think that ties it. I, it certainly does. It's yeah. It's communist. Communism ended wow. in 1985, baby. That's what it, that movie it, taught it us. Did not end anyway. So the thing is that after that, and watching, you know, documentaries on the Russian Revolution and the ideas behind socialism, you know, Marxism slash socialism going into communism and what the differences really truly are, and. This last week, I just studied the fuck out of it because that's me. I just, I don't know. I'm very interested in shit. Like, why is this happening? Why are people attracted to this and not that? These kind of things, right? And it was very interesting that at that same times, you know, somebody sent this article explaining that, you know, there's a lot of this going on where a dictatorship just comes in under the mask of, socialism slash turns to communism and and takes over people's rights and then only recently have they sort of given a fuck about the idea of like yeah 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 we'll have elections <laughs> no problem and just how fucked up it really all is and how in the 21st century something that when i was growing up as a kid i thought was the far-flung future buck rogers flying cars we all get along and they've solved a lot of goddamn problems we are in a shit storm of it just seems like the human race is really really fucking in trouble and on our side the united states of free enterprise i got to thinking about a lot of this and where they started saying you know a lot of people out there were holding out hopes in the rest of the world that the united states of america would really be who they used to be and try to espouse democracy and what do we feel about it and and what are our ideals now and so many Americans can't fucking stand our own country. We don't even see the benefits of democracy. Therefore, this thing that we used to covet, right or wrong, we don't even want to throw out there to the rest of the world as some sort of, you know, life preserver when they're fucking drowning in this veiled dictatorship, no matter where it is, no matter if it's Argentina or, or Russia or, or what have you, okay? And it was very interesting to me that we have already covered this, but it's, it's more of a deep understanding that we're never going to get involved again, really again, in helping anybody with human rights issues, in my opinion, which I'm always right, because in it, there is an economic system in place where we as Warren Buffett had famously put it in his little explanation cartoon of why there are world powers and why there are not world powers and how this power transfers over generations, centuries, millennia, is we are now a buying country, a non-producing, we don't produce really fucking anything. We absolutely need supplies from fucking China from fucking China and why they are building shit and constructing stuff and own lots of our country, much like Saudi Arabia, which we've covered, who are, believe me, 
if you want to talk, you know, human right violations or just human massacres, uh, let's look at Saudi Arabia. We already have. We are not willing to stand up to any of these people in any real way at all anymore because our bread is is buttered solely on that side. We know exactly which end is up financially. I'm talking about... Well, the- also... I'm sorry, Jason, yeah. but let me let me uh, say something on that real quick. Also, let's also keep in mind that a lot of uh, companies, it, it's not just about the United States government like requiring services or, or products from uh, these various uh, governments or regimes, but uh, very influential, by influential I mean wealthy, uh, businesses and corporations are multinational and do business in many of these other countries. And they're the ones that are also making sure what laws do or do not get passed or what actions do or do not get taken or what bills do or do not get sponsored. And when greed is the ultimate motivation behind any type of political play or any type of um, action taken on behalf of, quote unquote, a nation, then this is pretty much what you end up with. Is it's it's all at the state. It's all at the cost of personal enrichment. It absolutely is. And you know, I was going to get to that in the fact that there's a lot of corporations out there, uh, mega corporations, that need China to still be wealthy. And by corporations, I'm talking about people. You know. The management, the top tier people that own these companies too, uh, they absolutely need to stay in fucking power. And so th- any human rights violations going forward, don't expect the United States of free enterprise to fucking do a goddamn thing at all. Because as they, we can't even tweet like, golly gee, China shouldn't treat their people that way without some motherfucker getting reprimanded harshly when it, they're right. It's a, it's the right thing to do to stand with people who are being abused all over this fucking world. But no, we are not the United States of free enterprise. Not only, we're the United States of pussies. We're just fucking pussies. And it just has come down to it that nobody wants to stand up for fucking anybody anymore. So why wouldn't all this autocracy run fucking wild? All the goddamn hell over this goddamn planet. And sometimes... To think of it in even bigger terms, Dave, and I really do at this point, I figure how much time do we invest in screaming about the right or screaming about the left, the Republicans versus the Democrats, you know, the the red versus the blue or, or, or us versus China or China versus us or Russia versus us or blah, blah, fucking blah. <clears throat> One thing that I really do believe, and I've and I've started to believe it more and more over the last year, private I don't know if I've ever discussed it on this fucking show, but I, I really do is sometimes I think this has all been put into place so that we humans have somebody to look at and just bitch at and think it's the it's the cause of every problem we've ever fucking had and ever will have instead of the real issue, which Not to sound like a millennial that wants to camp out, you know, in World Trade Center, but it really does come down to the entire planet's one to five percent lording over the rest of us. One to five percent of this fucking planet wants to keep its power over the rest, the other 95 to 99 percent of this fucking planet. Now, it doesn't matter if they live in a democratic system, i.e., you know, you can make money and lots of it and all you fucking want. 
or if you live in autocracy where somebody is lording over you, telling you what to do, and that's just the way you live in fucking fear of being thrown into a goddamn death camp, okay? It all comes down to power. One thing that this article really did highlight that I've thought for a long time is all these sanctions that the EU or NATO or whoever the fuck gives these countries that do these atrocities to their people. Well, we're we're cutting off trade. We're go, we're going to have we're going to ban trade on this. Or we're going to put limitations on that. We're going to put restrictions on this till you fucking learn. They're not going to fucking learn because it's not the people that that are going to win in this. The, the civilians that are already being decimated, it's going to get worse for them. The top 1% of that shitty country that's beating the fuck out of people, th that they're the management. They're the owners. They're not going to fucking suffer, and they don't care. And one of the, one of the greatest things that's in this article where I really took away from is you have entire regimes, like the Taliban, who does not give a fuck if all the corporate American free enterprise money goes away, they don't give a shit. They don't give a fuck. It's either going to be replaced with Russian money, Chinese money, or no money. The money is not the fucking issue anymore. It's come well, down to Well, they're still getting power. paid regardless. Absolutely. So the thing is, what's very fucking interesting to me is sometimes I'm now looking and uh, I mean, not that it's, it's almost like Superman Red Sun. The end of the book restarts the fucking book. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Sorry. After the fact. But the thing son is, son of a bitch, son of Jason. a bitch, Jason, you did it again, son of a bitch. But honestly, you really do sort of look at it like, you know, Marxism or Lenin, where you just go, hold on a second. This is really about, this isn't you versus me, asshole. It's one flea versus the other flea. It's the fucking dog we live on. What the fuck are we doing here? That one to 5% has got the rest of the world so fucked up and ruled over that we fight amongst ourselves when really to get out of the foot of, you know, the dictatorship, whatever that may be. Maybe the company you fucking work for, okay? Doesn't just have to be somebody whipping you in a prison, although that's a thing. Uh, it's, I think that's really what it is. We have been set up in a system, a global social system, to fucking hate each other, to play this game where we can't fucking stand each other. And we watch so many of the Democrats and Republicans go up there to Capitol Hill. What bills are they fucking passing that's really going to affect them? Honestly, what, what the, who gives a, like, really, th does any of this affect these people? I don't think so. I really think that they're all part of the same fucking game. Then you take that on a broader level and go, okay, the United States and China. Yes, different ways of life, different things going on, but really, are the people that much fucking different, or is it really that top 1% that want to control us in either country, in either well, state talked, of existence. We've talked at length and ad nauseum before about the need for the existence of an other in uh, political power structures in order to galvanize a base, in order to hold on to that power, in order to harness um, a sense of kind of hatred or nationalism towards an, uh, a common enemy, so to speak. Um, so even though, like you said, you weren't sure if you had talked about this on this program before, I, we really have just possibly in different, you know, terminologies. 
Yeah, absolutely. Once again, one of our best listened to shows, uh, when you start talking, when, when you broke out the whole tribalism, you, you know, uh, theory and that we needed an other, uh, for our epic, our personal epic to be where we're the good guys. And you start to self-identify with a group of they're my good guys versus a bad guy. But at any rate, it's a wonderful human quality we possess that people in power can really, really manipulate. And it's very interesting to me not to bring up the shithead again, the 33% of MAGA zombies out there who would follow this man right to the gates of hell uh, is, is these MAGA zombies that love Donald Trump, that absolutely love him. And, you know, he, it was pointed out uh, in, the, uh, in the article, and it is low-hanging fruit to speak about him again in any capacity, uh, but honestly, uh, he really did buddy up with dictators much, much easier than any president we've had really in the past publicly. And he certainly didn't want to be held accountable. And I think he adored these men for their lack of personal accountability inside their own power structure. And this is something- Well, he also, he adored anybody that would be willing to say anything nice about him. And they were, you know, willing to say whatever he would like them to say because it benefited them to have, you know, the president in their pocket. Yeah, well, people really do like this cult of personality lording over you uh, kind of shit. And it's very odd to me, but it is a human condition that I think most human beings are stupid enough just to look up at someone who goes, I'm in charge of you now. They're like, well, okay, he seems to have an idea. And then they go along with it. Well, that idea, whoever says that generally, is it's not going to be for the benefit of fucking you. Just giving you a heads up on that one, humans. And it's very strange that it seems to be an, a, a, a part of the admiration for Donald Trump is that sort of dictator, strongman dictatorship thing that he had going, you know, 24 fucking seven. And it's, it's just very strange that I think as the planet earth and all the humans on it, that we're in, we're embattled against other people, other tribes, when really we should look at the leaders of our tribe. And it's generally, that's the source of your pain. That's the source of your problems right there. But I thought it was a, a great article for you guys to check out. Like I said, again, it's called The Bad Guys Are Winning, and it is in um, The Atlantic. It is a fantastic article by Ann Applebaum, uh, and it is very fantastic for you just to think about, I think, world geopolitics and the morality of the situation where you know, Biden just had this fucking, what is it? This Zoom fucking teleconference thing with China. And it, 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 it was a joke. Oh, I'm sure every, I'm sure everything's fine now. Well, yeah, it was a bunch of fuck. I think that, and here's a weirder thing, dude. You're the first to always point out media coverage, right? Like how did the media, who covered this? Why is this covered? As we talked about the, you know, that public rape story that everyone really lit up on. It's hard to find much information on this goddamn Zoom summit fucking thing that he did. The the most coverage I have seen on um, really the Belarus situation, this Chinese Zoom fucking thing, a lot of this has been on Wall Street Journal. It really has. Or NPR. You can't get it on ABC, NBC, CBS. No one's fucking talking about it. And what they, well, said, I mean, what they said on Wall Street Journal was, this is how they summed it up. Lots of smiles, nothing done. 
Well, Wall Street Journal, um, you know, I know their editorial tends to yeah. to have a certain political leaning, but some of their news coverage has, you know, for years been been very much top of the line. Uh, they also just recently broke a story, maybe two three days ago, uh, about the inner workings of a video game company Activision Blizzard and how much uh, CEO Bobby Kotick apparently uh, allegedly was uh, involved in a lot of these kind of cover ups of of uh, rapes of employees and sexual harassment and sexual assault and and you know it was kind of the like how much what did he know and when did he know it kind of eternal question. Uh, Wall Street Journal figured out how much he knew and when he knew it, and it's not good. And right now there's a lot of people calling for him to be uh, thrown out on his ass, if not thrown in prison. So uh, Wall Street Journal's been uh, spitting some fire from their their news coverage uh, for for quite a long time. Uh, last thing I'll say to, to kind of close this out is also, you know, I, I think we're in for, things are going to get worse, I think, before they get better. And I think, you know, as a country and as a world, I think we're going to be in for a really rough few years. Uh, before anything even remotely starts to look up, and that's kind of a best-case scenario. So, yay! Jason, where could uh, the dozens tell us their thoughts on uh, such subjects? You can always reach us at my favorite newspaper, which has become our email address, because you guys send the greatest shit, I swear. It, it really has gotten my mind just in, in new levels of insanity. So thank you very much. But you can keep sending it to this email address. Ask Dave and Jason at ProtonMail.com because, well, God damn it. Fuck you, Dr. Cosby. And on a slightly more uh, optimistic subject, Jason, childhood is dead. I don't know if you knew that. Yep. Mm -hmm. The good news is childhood is dead, but Rocky IV has been reborn. This is something I was very excited to talk about. This is something I know you were very excited to talk about. And apparently, from what uh, something you had texted me prior to the show, this is something that the dozens are very excited to hear us talk about. Am I correct on this? Oh, absolutely. It's uh, It's been fantastic because a lot of our dumpster fire segments, that, that gets the feedback. People really want to get involved and talk about it, and, and uh, we love that. But a lot of our childhood dead stuff, uh, this is the feedback. Agreed. Yep. Uh-huh. Perfect. The, the cool thing about this one is that everybody knows that Dave and I are Rocky Marks, just fucking crazy Rocky Stallone Marks about a lot of stuff he's done, both that, uh, that series and just him as, as a man, as, as this man. We're, we're big Marks of Sylvester Stallone. But a lot of people were not able to go to the Fandango uh, movie engagement, and a lot of them did not want to put their uh, hard-earned dollars behind buying it uh, on demand or however the fuck you get this, uh, I'm sure Dave knows, um, without hearing from their trusted source of Childhood is Dead reviewing about Rocky IV. So, but, so a, a lot of you just reached out and said, I will determine what I'm fucking doing here with what you guys say. So this is, I mean, well, Dave, we talked about dictatorships and geopolitics and the, the hardships of humankind over the last hundred years. Actually, I think this is a bigger topic. So, I mean, we're really going to have to to get to uh, the the uh, brass tacks here, buddy. Well, I mean, has there been a more effective international diplomat than Rocky Balboa? I, I really don't think so. Because yeah. in the original theatrical cut of, <clears throat> of Rocky IV, he knocked out communism inside of 15 rounds and had an entire country cheering for him. Um, that wasn't this country. But uh, anyway, uh, 
So Jason, you saw the film in theaters via the Fandango event, the one night only. I actually just finished watching it about a half hour before we went to air tonight. Um, I had gotten it on demand and then was kind of waiting right before showtime to to watch it. So it would be fresh in my head. So we have watched it um, under two different kind of viewing conditions. So my first question to you before we get into the film itself, and I think Folks, the major story beats aren't going to change, so I don't think we need to specify spoiler or non-spoiler. But um, I'll say I'll say this: What was the atmosphere of the movie theater with this particular film? Honestly, it felt like you were getting ready to watch WrestleMania. It it had that kind of feel. Like I mean, it's even kind of retitled Rocky versus Drago, so it was like titled. Uh, when you got your ticket, like you were seeing a, a boxing match, uh, which probably was intentional, uh, but it it was the audience there was very amped up, and it was a it was a hey you know cinemaphile kind of you know kind of crowd, but as pumped up pro wrestling as you as you could get with that sort of respect for a piece of film. Uh, it was, it was a, as Gorilla Monsoon would say, it was a happening. So it was, it was very exciting and a lot of people were pumped up and uh, yeah. And you could just tell everyone who was there was a Rocky fan. Uh, there wasn't anybody there. I'm sure that was under a certain age. Everyone knew what to expect. They'd probably seen Rocky four a billion fucking times, whether on, you know, cable television or a VHS copy or a DVD or, or what have you. But it was exciting. It really felt like a, a big event. That actually makes it hard to me. And I'm, I'm assuming you wouldn't disagree on this, Jason, but we'll see. It actually makes it a little hard to judge the merits of the director's cut solely on its own merits because you, me, and probably the vast majority of any viewing audience are so familiar with the original theatrical version that any even minor change really stands out as as kind of abrupt because we're so familiar with the the rhythms of the original movie and for those that don't know what I didn't what I was not really aware of until I bought the movie on demand was that I knew that there was 42 minutes roughly of new footage I did not know that the director's cut runtime was only 2 minutes longer than the original theatrical cut. I was expecting it to be like possibly over two hours. No, it runs about, it's a little over, it's about an hour and a half, but 42 minutes of those hour and a half are new footage, not necessarily new scenes. Sometimes it's alternate takes of scenes you've already seen, alternate cuts of, you know, things you've already seen just from different angles. And But it is a complete recutting of this film. So Jason, let's have you start out. Just what was your impression what did you think of the director's cut of rocky four um do you want me to go over all of it or you just want me to give you like a brett Hart general system? impression i'd say that uh the first act if you want to give it three acts which you know okay. i think like an actor theatrical artsy fartsy kind of guy the first act is sylvester stallone d80s in Rocky four. It's somebody going out of their way to take as much 1980s out of that film as possible, uh, to its benefit or no, not to its benefit. Um, okay. if you, I would really like to go over the beats of the, of what I thought and hand it back to you if that's okay. Uh, so that no, 
Yeah, go ahead. But um, <laughs> you had a look of shock on your face for a second. Yeah, go ahead. But the thing is that if if I if I just have to give it to you real quick, dozens for the Jason Bailey side of things, this really is like Siskel and Ebert. I mean, for those of you that fucking remember, um, I'd give it a Bret Hart four out of ten. And um, here's why: the first act or the film as a whole. The film as a whole. And, okay. And here's why: um, first of all, I love Rocky Four. Let's just get that out of the way. I think we all know that, okay? It's a very knowledgeable film for all of you guys out there. It is the most action adventure out of all of the Rocky films. Uh, Rocky One was very much a drama. I mean, he was compared, Sylvester Stallone was compared to Marlon Brando in that, that it could have been a drama. It was a drama piece. But it, it definitely evolved by Rocky IV into uh, pro wrestling. Comic book. It was, it was, yeah. it was straight up a pro wrestling at that point, uh, 1985. And the film, I think, and I believe this, some people have, you know, wiser people than myself, there's like three of them, have said this, uh, that all success is out there. Whether it's a person, a song, a movie, a book, whatever, it's, it, the success is because of it, it is part of its time as much as anything else. It's not just that it's a great thing that, was made it's that it's actually of its time it, it is part of the zeitgeist of that period and i really think that applies to rocky four i really do uh and so at any rate the first act is completely different than if you watch the rocky films back to back and believe me i have enough time to do this kind of shit um it's really dramatically different uh, in that um, it's not what you expect. All and I don't. And honestly, I don't want to give away a lot of uh, spoilers. I'm just going to give some some stuff that in the first act, uh, any kind of eye of the tiger, ding ding, watching the fight again between Apollo and Rocky as friends, and you never know the outcome of that fucking fight. Well, you do later, but at any rate, all that kind of shit go down. That's gone. That's all gone. And it seems like a lot of you out there only had really one question about the film. Did you like it? And is Polly's robot really gone? Uh, I liked it enough. It is not better than the first, the first theatrical cut. And yes, Polly's robots fucking gone. What's more interesting than that is Dave is correct in saying that although there's something like 40 minutes of new footage or whatever they were touting uh, there, it's all in alternate takes. It's all in maybe either a different take of the same scene that you saw or something of this nature. There are whole new scenes involved. In the first act, there is a scene with Apollo on the front yard of the Balboa estate which is very interesting. Uh, yeah. Okay. But watching this film overall, if I had to sum it up, it's like having a family member, like an uncle or a grandfather that you know very well. And he's like your favorite family member. And he comes over with a facelift. You know it's them, but it's altered to the point that it's bizarre. And you don't know if you really like it. I can tell you for a fact that when Rocky Four, as you know, is is really, I don't know how many I counted it at one point in time, but there's something outrageous in music montages in that film. Something like, I think, 35, 40 minutes of it is music montage, either pop rock music or Vince DiCola's instrumental music, which was all taken by 
HBO boxing at some point in time. You've heard it a million fucking times. Best workout fucking soundtrack of all time. Uh, and when that hits, when they finally hit in act two, the middle of the film, when they finally hit a music montage, the music montage is done differently, but it's there. It might even be a re-recording of the song, uh, to, to, be, not, to be honest with you. I will say just very quickly, Jason, I don't believe not very differently. I think there's, and I don't, I don't believe, I, you know, don't quote me, but I don't believe the recording is different. I think there's one or two times, especially during Hearts on Fire, I definitely picked up on it, where they clearly extended a section um, in order to fit another like clip of something in or to kind of time it out differently. So I think it was, it is the same versions. I just think they edited them as needed here and there, but the, the montages I didn't think were changed much. There were moments though. Yeah. Well, let me tell you how D D fun and D eighties. The first act was when it hits, it's almost out of place now. It almost, you sit there and go, because you can see very much Stallone and the first act is trying to make it, in my opinion, Rocky Balboa-ish. Not the character, the movie now. And um, like with with uh, Apollo Creed, there is no fun and bravado here with Apollo Creed other than maybe himself. Every reaction shot they get, and believe me, kids, I could write the storyboard. I could draw out the actual storyboard so I know the reaction shots and where they go. Nobody's having fun with Apollo's comeback here. It's all foreboding. Everybody's terrified. Everybody's worried. Nobody's laughing or having fun when he's dancing around with James Brown. They have unfunned Apollo Creed. The nail stallion. That whole scene's not even fucking there until a clip of it at the fucking end. My My god of Rocky is Apollo Creed. Well, sorry. They did it way better in the theatrical cut. But anyway... It's so dramatic and so downtrodden and so underscored, by the way. Not a lot of music fucking anywhere in the first third of that film that when the first 80s montage thing happens, now it seems out of place. Now that seems fucking bizarre. When they finally get to Moscow or wherever the fuck they go, Siberia, wherever he's training, um, you finally get to see Pauly. Pauly's gone from the first part of this film because apparently every scene Paul... Well, because there's no robot. Right. <laughs> because every scene that Pauly is in involved that goddamn robot. So no robot, no Pauly. So you don't even really see this fucking central character <laughs> to the Rocky film until they're in Siberia, which is a real shitty thing because Pauly is such a fantastic fucking character. Anyway, I will say this about the first act. The funeral scene, fantastic. Better than the theatrical cut when, you know, you finally see Apollo die and, you know, he they bury him in the funeral scene. Gives a lot of fucking drama to that. That was not in the theatrical cut, so I can give him can that. I, can I ask you this? Uh, your thought on the Drago-Apollo fight itself, if you think it okay. worked better in one version or the other. Okay. The fights themselves, both the Apollo-Drago fight and the Drago-Rocky fight, the fights themselves are better in the director's cut. If you are just watching for the choreography and the that visceral impact of the fighting that you, you see these characters do, Stallone just knocks it out of the fucking ballpark. Every When that fucking Apollo-Drago fight happens, it, it don't feel like no exhibition at all 
not from the lead up to the fight, you feel every fucking part of that fight. And you, you expect Apollo to die after the first hit. Honestly, they make Drago so uber powerful in this. And I want to get to that. But, but honestly, the second and the third acts, they are similar to your theatrical cut. There are major differences I did not like. Okay. And there's a lot of alternate takes that it almost seems like Stallone was going, I'll put that take in because it's alternate, not because it was better. There's a lot of up like close ups that frame the actor much better in the original theatrical cut. I want to say two things. I'm going to hand it back to you, Dave, really. And this is it. Okay. The first thing is there is something that happens in the theatrical cut, which I really don't want to get that involved in because I want people, if they want to see it, you know, suck it up for themselves. Drago is done better. And Drago is done better because there are moments where you realize he is not some walking scientific Frankenstein thing that is just part of the communist state propaganda machine. In his mind, clarifying, mo- Jason, it's it sounded like you were saying Drago is better in the theatrical cut, but the way you just described it makes it sound like you're talking oh, about Drago being better in the director's forgive cut. Forgive me. Can you clarify? Forgive me. He's better in the director's cut. If I said theatrical, okay, it's director's. He's better in the director's cut, and the reason why is because they put little moments in where you realize Drago's got a mind of his own and he's got, he's got ambitions and he's got plans that involve his own existence. He's not just a Frankenstein machine from the Soviet union. That's done better in the director's cut. What I believe is the prime all over. I can't even stress this enough. The failure of the director's cut, the absolute failure is not the absence of Polly's robot. Sorry, Joe Baca. The failure is the absolute absence of Bridget Nielsen's character. Bridget Nielsen's character has maybe, as Ivan Drago's wife, in the director's cut, maybe two or three lines. And I'm and that's being fucking generous. Where in the theatrical cut, she is not, she is a main character. And by main, it's M-A-I-N in capital fucking letters. You all know what I'm talking about. Her presence is so dramatic and she is such a femme fatale, perfect Soviet Union character thing. And everyone behind the scenes knows that it was Stallone's either at that time wife or was going to be his wife. I think wife, I believe. Okay. And he wrote the part for her. And she did all the talking for Drago. Now, while I did, and they should have in the theatrical, the original 1985 cut kept a lot of Drago's little moments where you realize, oh shit, Drago got something going on in his head here. By getting rid of the Bridget Nielsen character, it so dramatically changes the feel of that film. It just seems bizarre. And you can think whatever you want of Bridget Nielsen personally, professionally. Maybe that's the only thing you've ever seen her in. But in my opinion, and I'm always right, in that film, she kicks some major league ass. She really kicks some real major league ass. I think Stallone had alternative, you know, reasons for kind of giving her that part. But when she got it, goddamn, did she get it. And let me tell you why it's so fucked up to me. I love Creed and I love Creed 2. I'm talking the movies now, okay? I yes. love these films very, very much. The, the Creed 2, I saw twice in the movie theater, okay? And I've seen it multiple times on my own. 
But Creed 2 has a moment in it, which I, I don't even, it's like a spoiler fucking thing. I can't even talk about, but it is the only time in recent cinematic fucking history that I have heard audiences collectively gasp at a moment that happens in the film. I, I got to say it, Dave. I know this, this fucking sucks. It's because Bridget Nielsen's character from Rocky Four appears again. And it was done so fucking well, kept so under wraps. It was like one of those, although she's not Sean Connery, it really was like a Sean Connery Robin Hood moment. Robin it Hood, resonated. My theater had the same reaction. Everyone went, <gasps> there was the, you could hear a collective gasp that this character had re-entered the Rocky universe. And he and sitting right in front of Drago and now her son. It was the most the best moment in Creed 2, in my opinion. And by not having Bridget Nielsen and that character in Rocky 4 in the director's cut, it now has come if that goes on, let's say 50 years down the road, I don't think that moment fucking matters anymore. You can't uninvest a character that the audience in the franchise and the universe is invested in. It's like a Boba Fett syndrome thing. You may not like that the Bridget Nielsen character, whatever, I don't even know her name in the fucking thing, is so overwhelmingly known and popular, but she is in Rocky Four. She is part of that whole universe. And I can tell you that the power of that character not being in it, and I mean, she's not in it. You see her from the sidelines. You see her in pickup shots, things like that. Uh, that's bullshit. And I just have to say to Stallone, I love Sylvester Stallone. Uh, I, you probably never want to see your one of your multiple ex-wives again as a major player in one of your most known films. But that was a fucking mistake. That was a fucking, the biggest fucking mistake is by not get, get, taking that character out. I'm going to say this last thing. At the end, Gorbachev, instead of, and it's obviously this character is, is supposed to be Gorbachev. Instead of doing the thing that politically would be done, the most realistic part of the end of the movie where he stands up and then the entire bureau stands up and they start clapping that Rocky gave this very beautiful speech about, you know, everyone can change. This one, it's a little different. He's pissed off, and it seemed just very, very pro wrestling and uh, pedestrian. So that's my that's my review. Now, do I think you should watch it? Yes, I do, because I feel all films should be watched. But it, it, that that you have a vested interest in. But that's Jason Bailey's take on it, right there. Okay, so I will give my view. Jason's one hundred percent wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I I enjoyed it, and likewise, I, I don't think it's a question of whether it's better or worse than the theatrical cut, because they're just, you see them at different times in your life, and they have different, you know, like, I don't think it replaces the theatrical cut, but likewise, I don't think it's totally uh, a worthless exercise either. So, um, is it worth seeing? Yes. Is it better than the theatrical cut? I don't think that's really a, a question that can be necessarily answered, um, at least not by me. I will say the... Um, the opening montage that traditionally cuts back to the earlier film, in this case, the opening of Rocky three. Um, I think that overdid it to a degree. Um, I think it could have started cause it, it very much goes like into Rocky three and almost gives you a beat by beat kind of summation of how that film played out. I understood why he did that. I don't think you needed it. I think it, the impact would have been the same to just start with, the final, you know, maybe a little bit of the training montage or whatever, if you needed to, but then just the, the fight with Clubber Lang at the end. Um, and you still get all kind of the important information there. 
Uh, Jason, you were talking about the ding ding in the the um, you know the sparring match. That was actually the end of Rocky Three that just got included at the beginning of Rocky Four in the theatrical cut. So it, it didn't bother me that that was missing from the theatrical cut of Rocky Four because it's still very much it's originally the ending of Rocky Three. So it's not like it was taken out per se. No, it doesn't. Um, but let me just intercut because I'm passionate about it. That's bullshit. I right. know, I know that's well, from the, fucking Rocky Three, but that's how right, it started but the, out. But the thing is, because he cut out the Rockies robot and because he cut, therefore he cut out Polly's birthday party, he cut out the bit where Stallone has a black eye and Stallone has a black eye at Polly's birthday party because he had just had the sparring match with Apollo. So by remove, basically, I, I'm pretty sure Stallone just didn't want to have to explain why months later Stallone is rocking a black eye for no apparent reason. That's just my guess. But anyway, that part didn't really bother me. But uh, I, I think the they overdid the the beat by beat Rocky Three recap because it almost felt kind of jarring how it was cutting like very quickly showing Rocky getting knocked out, then quickly showing Apollo like meeting him at his gym and then quickly like it, it, it felt a little too abrupt, but I think part of that might've been because Stallone might've been thinking like people might not have seen these in a long time. So let me kind of get them up to date more than what, you know, I needed to in 1985. Um, the first act, I definitely think some of the, I don't think he took the eighties out of it, nor was he trying to, he took the robot out. Cause that's just, goofy shit but um i still think it felt very much very much 80s but i do agree that um the the he made it more serious and less comic booky it tried to fit more thematically or more tonally with the original series of rocky films especially more with rocky three because that kind of treaded the line between kind of the action and the drama uh of the first two versus like the fourth one kind of the original fourth one um so I, I, I definitely was very interested in the, that lawn scene that you mentioned between Apollo and Rocky. Um, as Bridget Nielsen's role, uh, you rightly pointed out, has been reduced, the, the name of his handler, the, yeah. the older guy, he, he seemed to be expanded quite a bit. And, and it's, it seemed like he almost a trade-off of, of her for him. Right. I'm not saying that was necessarily to film's benefit, but I, I, that's where I saw some of the, that focus being shifted over to that dude instead of Drago's uh, wife. Um, she is still in it, but the one thing I thought was interesting was that the director's cut reduces or eliminates the uh, references to Drago using performance enhancing drugs well, outside of you still you still have the you still have that shot of the syringe in the yeah. shoulder. But one thing that that was a big series of lines for Bridget Nielsen is when her character gets asked about it at the press conference, like, is there rumors about, you know, steroids and blah, blah, blah. And then she makes the joke about Popeye and spinach and all that stuff. All of that is gone. And you and I could both guess as to why that might be the case. Um, Jason, dude, you look like you had something you want. Well, say I have, a, I have a lot to say, you know, what you, what you're saying there first, the, the ding ding match, uh, that should have been involved. You, you could have fucking had that in there. It, it's, I hate the first fucking part of this film. Let's put it that way. Okay. Now let's get on to it. I could not believe that they still showed the shot of the fucking needle going into Drago's shoulder. It's one of the iconic shots of that movie though. And there, and the thing is why, why it is, is because for all of us who are now of a certain age, the idea, it just seems, I know that it's a movie. I know I'm not watching Sylvester Stallone. I'm supposed to be watching Rocky up there. Okay. But get the fuck out of here. Like to me, it's like, get you. Sh if you're not going 
to talk about that. Don't even put that shot in there because the entire 80s, all y'all, every single one of you was fucking just absolutely juiced to the gills, dude. Juiced to the fucking gills. So like saying like, oh, Drago's on steroids. Look at this shot. And then you flip over and see fucking Stallone at like 2% body fat. No, I think he was at 1% at one point. You're just like, get the fuck out of here. I just can't believe that he still put that in there. Like, that would have been something I would have fucking taken out. But nope, it's in there. It's completely in there. It just, that drove me fucking nuts that that was still in there. If you're going to take out all the other bullshit, you know what I mean? The, uh, Polly has, like you said, and I do agree, has next to nothing to do until the third act, uh, because the robot is gone. I do not miss the robot. I was okay with that sacrifice more so than you were as far as if Polly gets less screen time because that robot's not fucking there. I was personally okay with it. Um, the, um, let me think the Apollo fight. Uh, I agree was probably better done in the director's cut. Um, the buildup, uh, there were some subtle moments, even in the James Brown yeah. act where you said yeah. it took some of the, the fun out, but also like just some of the looks that you see Drago, like the look on Drago's face as he's kind of sizing all this well, up. Ap- stuff, like, like Apollo's wife, all of them. You can just tell that yeah. he's very heavy handed with letting the audience know you're not supposed to be having fun during this moment. This is in the purpose of the bad. fight though. It worked for me nah. in the purpose of the fight though. It worked for me. Well, for you, um, some of the some of the um, some of the cuts that were made. When I say cuts, I mean edits that were made in the dramatic scenes. Some of them felt abrupt to me. I'm not sure if it's like some dialogue that got removed or got shifted around or whatever. Like maybe it's because I'm so familiar with the original theatrical cut. But there's times where I'm like, oh, that felt like the like the pacing felt off or like ooh, like I don't know why he took that part out. So there's there's parts especially like he he. I think better develops kind of the relationship with Rocky and Apollo. I almost said Rocky and Drago with Rocky and Apollo. At the same time, he cuts some moments between them out that I think yeah. would have benefited to have remained in. Well, like that, um, even that if it's scene, just a line here, that there. scene where you know he's they're in the the viewing room in his mansion, and he's like, yeah. "You don't want to admit this, but we ain't like we can't do that no more." You know, and he, he says the whole thing where he's like, "I like yeah, who I am." Out. He cuts out, well, I like who you are too, but we can't do... Like, we know it like it's Shakespearean dialogue that when something's missing, you're like, but what the fuck is that? It seems yeah. it seems cut up because in it your head, abrupt. you know what should be. But the thing is, what I think misses are what you... You know, it didn't bother you. And of course, that's valid. It doesn't bother you. It doesn't bother you. But the cool thing about the Apollo fight, and now, now this is a billion years ago, so we all know how it goes... But the cool thing about it is you're you're kind of having fun with Apollo and you don't you're just having fun seeing this character be him in this like Ric Flair type mode, having a good time. You're backing him. You're like the old dog's going to show this young motherfucker what it's about. And it's fun. It's you're into the moment to when the tragedy fucking starts to happen. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I think it's more dramatic to build it up as a fun exhibition that this doesn't seem so right. In the back of your head, you know, this ain't this ain't the coolest thing for Apollo, but fuck it, we still support him. It's so overhanded with tragedy is coming. Cue reaction shot that by the time it happens, you're like, well, I, yeah. So the thing is that I don't agree. I think that, you know, it really cut the fun the 80s out of the first act to the point that you're like, 
Uh, oh, I still thought the whole the whole James Brown thing, the whole James Brown musical act, Number. which is still intact as far as the length, like the whole song still plays. He still dances all the way down. Like I still think all of that was still very much uh, intact personally. But um, the the funeral scene, I agree, was much better. Uh, one side note that just popped in my head, so I'm going to say it now while. Um, uh, while it's in my head, so I don't forget later on. Something they stressed in the director's cut that they didn't at all really go into in the theatrical version, and it's just a couple of lines here and there, but I do think it comes down to Stallone's ego at that time compared to now, is they mentioned that one of Rocky's great detriments in this fight is his age. Um, they talk multiple times in the director's cut about how Drago not only is bigger, which certainly is stressed in the theatrical cut as well, but they also talk about how much younger he is than Rocky Balboa. Well, and also, all references of that were removed from the theatrical cut, but very much is prevalent in the in the uh, commentators' um, discussions in the in the director's cut. Well, also, I think that the the audience for Rocky, uh, I think, is a lot more sophisticated too. I mean, you know, MMA is a a thing for everyone yeah. who watches, and we all look at people's age. I think that the average human now understands how much age affects fighting so it was just more realistic i thought that was great too something i came away with on the whole thing if you want to talk drago is it's very obvious that sylvester stallone really likes dolph lundgren a lot oh absolutely a lot a lot more than people think uh and it's not just as you know reemergence and expendables and 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 then creed 2 and things of this nature but he really does give uh dolph lundgren's just a better spotlight in this than he had in the first one. He comes off as a far, just with a few lines, a few different shots, a far more fleshed out character. He's and more interesting. He's yeah. way more interesting. And really, it, if you're if you're a Drago fan, or you know, you just want to see what Drago was like, not being one hundred percent Frankenstein. What's interesting is, you know, Jabaka would say when I was a kid, I somehow in my head thought Drago was like a robot. Like a like some sort of bionic man that they had made like with robotics, and uh, that's that's really what he had in his mind. Where I can totally fucking see that when Stallone was doing his pre-show thing and he was doing his little behind-the-scenes things, he was saying that's exactly it. Like it, I I look back at that and I thought he's like he's a robot. It's almost like I'm making him the the audience confused that he is a robot through science and all this stuff. There wasn't a lot of humanism in, in him at all. In this, you absolutely see it. And I think that would have been just amazing to have inserted in the original 85 theatrical cut because every time his handlers in the Soviet Union and his wife talk for him, it would have been really cool to see Drago be like, no, I, you know, I've got some, some ideas here on my own. It just would have been really cool. But that's something I take away is like, man, Stallone really likes Dolph Lundgren. He really does. Well, I think... Well, I think the Drago in the director's cut of Rocky Four also fits more closely with the Drago that you see in Creed Two as well. Yes, not that not that the theatrical cut doesn't, because so much time has passed, and because you don't get a good look at at Drago's personality in the theatrical cut. But I do think it does. The director's cut does jive very well with what you see later in Creed Two from from that character. Yeah. Um, one thing, uh, two two things I'd like to touch on very quickly because um, we're kind of starting yeah. to run run up on time here. Is uh, one is well let me just let me say it in in one overall term the sound um musically we were wondering how they were going to do that uh vince DiCola's score is for the most part 
you know, still intact. Again, I think they might have modified it here or there just to extend out B tier there when they needed to. Um, but they also added in some Bill Conti here and there, which Bill Conti was nowhere to be seen in the theatrical version of Rocky Ford because he and Stallone had, had a falling out at that time. Um, so Bill Conti's, and it's all, you know, I don't think he recorded anything new for, for the director's cut of Rocky Four. I think they, you know, reused just themes from earlier films. But holy shit, do I think it makes a big difference. Like, yeah. I, I'm glad that Vince DiCola's score was not, you know, uh, taken out of the film, because um, I think that would be tragic. But um, I am very much, the times where Bill Conti's score comes in, I very much appreciated it. And it just shows how, like, fucking just brilliant those those themes are. Um, I think uh, Adrian has more to do in the director's cut, which is to the film's benefit. Mm-hmm. One interesting decision... Um, well, let me go back to the sound before I, I get ahead of myself. The punches yeah. are way toned down from the sound standpoint, but I think they're very they you feel them more uh, because they're not as so such so cartoony. They're not as like shotgun blast and all this other stuff. Like because they're more dull and because they sound more like flesh getting hit. You actually, no pun intended, as an audience member, you feel those shots more, mm. and I think that's to the film's benefit is the the redone sound design in the director's cut. Um, so I think the music is about the same with Bill Conti's additions being very much appreciated. Um, the sound design from a uh, Foley uh, standpoint, I think, is greatly improved in the in the director's cut. Adrian is greatly improved in the director's cut. Um, there is one added scene with Rocky's son, but other than that, he's greatly reduced as well, which I was okay with. Um, obviously there's no birthday party. You don't see him there. And then one thing I thought was an interesting choice, which I had no problem with Stallone completely removed any reference to his son watching him fight on Christmas day or Christmas night. Um, that entire fight happens without a single cut going to the son watching him from his friend's house or wherever it was that, that he was at. Um, I thought that was interesting. And again, I didn't hate it because it's, I thought it was, you know, it, it kept things more kind of urgent and you, you get more cutaways to Adrian in the, in the crowd and stuff, which I thought worked. Um, the ending Stallone's speech is different. That in of itself, I was fine with, I actually liked the, uh, the the premiere walking out as opposed to standing up and applauding because it felt more believable to me. Um, the the crowd turning on Drago is a little toned down compared to the theatrical version where now it's a little more mixed as opposed to just like, yay, Rocky, I don't care if I get shot in the stadium right now. Um, so that worked fine for me. The Rocky speech at the end has been so heavily edited that it doesn't make a lot of sense as to what he's even saying. Um, I was okay with the new end beats in it, um, but they cut out too much of the speech to where the whole thing about changing and all that stuff, like none of it made any sense. I'm like, is he already showing signs of his upcoming brain trauma? So I think they could have kept more of that speech, kept the stuff they added to the speech and it would have made it better overall. Um, as it was, uh, it lost a little bit of like, I didn't know why he was saying what he was saying necessarily at that at that moment if that makes sense um overall i very much enjoyed it as i said i'm not going to make a judgment whether it's better or worse i think they're both worth watching obviously theatrical version is classic and then the director's cut i think is a worthy addition to the canon um i will say just if you're looking at how to possibly watch it i discovered um 
It's on both Amazon and, and Vudu as two examples uh, for the same price, but Vudu has uh, digital extras that Amazon does not. So that is that is what I did because I'm all about those extra features. Absolutely. Well, that, and I think yeah, that's our show, Jason. That's, we that's are... the show. That's the show. And people really did want to hear our our thoughts on on Rocky Four Director's Cut. Like I said, I don't know if it's a Bret Hart four out of ten. For me, it was. I'd give it. No I would more, rate it way higher than that. I'd give it but... only a five, no higher than a five out of ten for the for the reasons I said. And then Dave uh, obviously liked it more than me. But the thing is that it certainly is more than anything else. I could say it's interesting. I don't think it's better. All right, and that's our show. And if you have seen the director's cut of Rocky Four or see it in upcoming days, again, it's like fourteen bucks or something through digital. It's, that's not bad at all. Um, you know, feel free to uh, send us an email at the aforementioned email address. Let us know what you thought about it, and we can revisit the subject if we are requested to in the future. In the meantime, do please check out uh, Patreon at uh, patreon.com forward slash Dave Beaudry. Much appreciated for that. And any final thoughts, Jason? And we are out of here. No, thank you very much, guys. We love where this podcast is going. We love the morality debates and geopolitics or whatever you guys want us to discuss. And uh, we uh, it, it, it tickles our, our fancy. We certainly will talk about it. But thank you for being so involved with us these last couple of weeks. We really do appreciate it. So for the dozens and dozens of listeners out there, I am Dave Beaudry. I'm still your Jason Bailey. And we are one day closer to dead, but that day is not and will not be today. So until next week, ding, ding. <laughs>